We are back. And in this hour, I'm joined by Maisha Mack. She's a mental health and healing specialist and leader of the Justice for April movement. She also happens to be April Valentine's cousin uh, who filed the first complaint with the California state regulators. Also in this hour, Kimberly Seals Allers is here. She's the founder of Earth and she's the executive director of Narrative Nation. Thank you so much, Makisha. And thank you, Kimberly, for joining. So Makisha, I know that uh, you, I believe I read that you were at the hospital uh, when April went in to deliver her baby, and that was the Centinella Hospital in Inglewood, California, uh, but that you also were very much involved in filing the complaint against the doctor and the hospital uh, after April died during childbirth. Uh, what were your reactions when you saw the findings by the California Department of health and the California Medical Board. Yeah, so um, I was there a little bit after April passed and um, her sister and partner were there um, and going through everything that we've gone through, understanding what exactly happened um, and the the tragedy that was so preventable um, after reading the results, it was actually disappointing. It was disappointing, it was hurtful. Um, they were fined $75,000, but what's $75,000 to a life and such a precious life um, at that? So it was it was definitely disappointing and hurtful. I think for me, Kimberly, what was surprising was, as Mikeisha said, there was a fine of $75,000 levied against the hospital. But there was also factual findings that the hospital uh, did not take into consideration certain risk factors. Uh, April apparently was complaining about heaviness in her legs and made multiple, multiple complaints uh, that were dismissed by the staff at the hospital. So there wasn't an exoneration of the hospital, but there was actual findings that they didn't uh, give her the kind of care, the proper care that she deserved, and that they did put her at risk for serious injury or death. Now, obviously, this report that came out didn't identify her by name, but the account that they give in the report is, is exactly on point with that which her partner uh, and her sister has given as well. So were you shocked to find that the regulators, that whose job it is to regulate these kinds of situations, uh, didn't make a more substantial finding towards this hospital? Well, you know, Reba, I mean, I can't say that I was shocked, but as my Keisha said, certainly disappointed, certainly disgusted and enraged that we continue to not receive justice. And I think part of the issue is that these regulators are looking at this issue without context, right, without understanding that having your pain levels dismissed is a common thread in pretty much every story that we've been hearing. And if we could actually not try to act as if this was a just a one-off tragedy, but if we could see the patterns and the threads, that would help us understand that actually this was discrimination, this was bias, because this is known to be a pattern of behavior that disproportionately happens to Black people while, while giving birth than it does to anybody else. These things around, you know, requesting help, um, and being ignored. This is exactly what our Earth data reveals, that these are highly re um, reported incidences among Black birthing people. And when they disproportionately lead to our death, they need not be looked at only in um, a vacuum, as if this isn't part of a bigger pattern of how Black birthing people are being treated across the board and in many systems. 
Yeah, some of the details of April's case that I've, again, got these mostly from uh, media reports is that uh, she had numbness and swelling in her legs, that she reported these symptoms at least 10 times over the course of 15 hours that she was at the hospital, and that it took nearly 20 hours for her doctor to see her uh, after arriving at the hospital, that she was told by nursing staff or some hospital staff that they couldn't disturb the doctor, that she would be upset if they contacted her. Uh, now, I know, Mykeisha, that your family believes that uh, had uh, April been white, had she been a white woman, that she would have been treated differently. Uh, can you shed any more light on what was happening during that 20 hours after, you know, you've talked to her partner and her sister, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to believe sitting back reading that someone would report make a report of numbness and swelling over 10 times and yet nothing be done. Uh, you know, that, that there's just no response or even be told that I can't contact the doctor because she'll get upset. Like that seems so absurd. Yeah. And similar to what you said, um, it, it is very absurd and it is very much uh, shocking. When you read about April's story, a lot of people are like, is that, did that really happen? Yeah, it really happened from start to finish. And it's like a reading a horror story. And so after talking to Nyjah, April's partner, her sister, just getting more information, um, April was told, and I don't know if this is in any of the, the articles, but she was told to strip as soon as she walked in, you know, um, when she walked in actually the room and was registered, hey, thrown her gown, strip. You know, and which already tells you the state of mind that these people are so in. So you said they use the word strip. They didn't say, you strip. know, you need to take off your clothing. We need you to change your hospital gown. They just said strip. As if she was in some jail. Strip. Threw her the gown. Strip. Right? And so this already tells you the mindset these people are in. The type of people they're using this, they're used to serving and the biases that they they have. They start asking her questions about domestic violence and all of these things. Not really caring about the person, but treating her like another number. You know what I'm saying? And so it already shows you, again, the biases and the the level, their mindset that they were in when treating April. Treating her like the next, the next number, the next Black woman. Yeah, get in here so we can get you out. You know? Mm -hmm. And it's true to what she said. They were afraid of calling the doctor. And I work with nurses and helping nurses and mental health or professionals, healthcare professionals to heal. And so from as a mental health and healing specialist, that already tells me that you are fearing rejection. You are fearing people. And, and you know, the, the doctor may be dealing with issues like bullying because that is a real thing. Right. But as a healthcare professional, as a nurse, you make an oath. You take a commitment to commit to the those in your care to advocate, and they failed to do that for April because they were so um, dreadful of this doctor, and her death was so preventable. If they would have opened up her their, their mouths, if they would have ran assessments, if they would have just listened to April, April would still be here today which just shows you, again, the systemic racism, right? Yes, these people look like you and I, but when you think about the overall systemic issue and the, the prime healthcare services who owns this hospital and the resources they put into hospitals and training, they were found that they didn't have the proper training to prevent these issues and so on and so forth. So it's a, a lot that goes into play with this, but I definitely think the systemic issue was a thing, the biases were a thing, and them used to just treating 
our people that look like us like another statistic. Yeah, you're right, uh, Mikeisha. When you read the facts of this, they're they're unbelievable. I mean, you you almost think, okay, they have to be exaggerating. They have to be making this up because you know we're so trained to believe that hospital professionals or healthcare professionals are going to always do the right thing. They're going to be loving and caring and concerning. And if someone has a complaint, you know, they're going to be trying to address that person's complaint. And that does happen in a lot of situations. So this isn't, you know, saying that all healthcare professionals are, you know, don't take their jobs very seriously. But we know in all too often, in a lot of cases, particularly when it's black women, we hear these stories. And Kimberly, Mikeisha raised a good point. And I think another reason why some people, when they read this story, may be incredulous is because we are talking about an African-American doctor. We are talking about people of color that were involved in April's care. And typically when we talk about these, uh, you know, maternal mortality rates, we're talking about white doctors that have not gotten training on, you know, this issue of, of black women being, uh, you know, dismissed, uh, maybe having heard this myth that somehow we have higher tolerance for pain, uh, and thinking again that it's in the context of black white, but this isn't black white. These are people of color, and April and her partner and her sister go into this hospital, and they are black people. So help us understand why this issue is so much bigger uh, than just white doctors or what white doctors or white healthcare professionals may have or not been trained about black mothers giving birth. Yeah, and I mean, I think this just proves that this issue is systemic. I mean, one of the other things that was very telling about this story, and Mikeisha can correct me if I'm incorrect, but when we sat with Nigel, um, April's partner, and he left a review in the Earth app in April's honor, and one of the things that he shared that this one really broke me, this one broke me, that even when she had begun to lose consciousness, the nurses were frozen that Niger himself had to administer CPR to his beloved in a hospital facility where there are literally hundreds of trained people around. So their lack of action when she was explaining her concerns, saying that this was an issue, the lack of action when now uh, he has to literally take the role of a healthcare pr practitioner when she has become unconscious that they still couldn't even spring into action. This is this is a deep problem. So when, when Mykeisha is talking about biases and discrimination, we really need to understand how deeply it goes and what the impacts are. And the reason why this is not just a Black-white issue, Ariva, is because we know that systems have a culture, right? And I use this example all the time. You know, my home city is New York City. And if I get stopped by the NYPD officer and he is Black, do I feel more safe? Probably not. Right. Because we know that many times, you know, our police officers, there's many great ones, but there is a culture that they are kind of, uh, you know, raised in and, and taught about that actually can be more powerful than their own racial identity. Right. And so we know that some doctors, unfortunately, have absorbed some of the systemic racism that is 
part of the healthcare system, the same healthcare system that quite frankly was never built for black people. And so even when they are black, many of them unfortunately have adopted this culture. We also saw this in the disgusting incident in Atlanta with that infant who was emaciated during childbirth. Um, and so unfortunately it is not just enough to say this is a issue about black providers. It is a cultural and systemic issue within healthcare and it needs to be rooted out for everybody. Yeah, I did read that, uh, Kimberly, about her partner jumping into action, having the the courage, the, the presence of mind to take immediate action, to start giving his you know, his partner, his his girlfriend, his, you know, his mate, his fiance, CPR, and you're in a hospital. I mean, I th that, yeah, that that kind of floored me. I I can't even, you know, I, I just want to meet him and give him a big hug and and just, you know, I don't even know again very many people that would be able to take action like that, particularly uh when uh, a, a woman that has been obviously in labor for as many hours as she has, you would think there would be people right by her side. There wouldn't even be an instance where somebody would have to go and get someone. They would be monitoring her so incredibly closely. Uh, that that part of that story is just harrowing. Uh, my Keisha, so here we have this hospital, Sentinella Hospitals in Inglewood, California. Uh, and now we've got news that they are closing their OBGY in maternity ward. So you're not going to be able to go to that hospital and deliver a baby. Now, I don't know if that was the outcome. I think I did read that that wasn't the outcome that April's partner wanted because he recognized that there was a shortage of labor and delivery facilities in his community. Was that the outcome that you wanted or any others of your family wanted? Yeah, great question, um, Ariva. So Really, we wanted transformation, in, in, to say the least. We want transformation. We want restoration. And closing something doesn't bring restoration. It's almost as if it's it's kind of a slap in the face. Well, since you guys feel like you we can't do it right, then we're not going to do it at all. But we're hopeful that you know this thing is going to come back around and there will be restoration. But that's not what what the ultimate goal was. Yeah, Kimberly, have you? Uh, what do you know about the closure of Sentinel? I know you you have some projects going across the country, and one of them is in California. Uh, did that take you by surprise, or do you have any information about you know how certain it is that Sentinel Hospital will close its labor delivery? Yes, Sentinella has already closed its labor and delivery unit. That has happened. And it is deeply concerning, as my Keisha is saying, this is a slap in the face. It's almost like, you know, you know, a, a big un a middle finger to the community to say, how dare you, you know, resist complain, right? and complain. And now we were removed services that are so needed, right? And we reached out. Our, our job, our work with Earth, we help hospitals improve. We use data to help them improve. We use what we're learning all across the country to help hospitals come into improvement plan. We reached out to Sentinella many times asking them if we could help them improve. To my Keisha's point, we could help you transform 
transform by being accountable to the community and listening to your community as a data set that can help you figure out what you need to do to provide more safe and equitable care. And they were not responsive. We did not hear from them after multiple um, attempts to, to reach out to them. Um, and really, this is a very bad um, precedent for what health systems can do instead of doing the work to improve that they can simply walk away. It's a very dangerous precedent um, and hopefully one that we will not have to see repeated. Yeah, what a chilling effect that could have on a family. Fearful to file a complaint thinking that if I do, maybe I'll shut down this unit that is useful and so needed by so many other people in my community. Uh, thank you so much, Kimberly. Uh, the work that you're doing is transformative all over this nation. Uh, Mykeisha is going to stick uh, around with us. We're going to continue this conversation when we come forward more about Black maternal health and what we all need to know and what we all need to do to keep Black women safe. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and in this segment, we're talking to Mykeisha Mack. She is a life coach, a nurse healer, uh, and she has been very involved in the case uh, against Sentinel Hospital uh, filed by the family of April Valentine. She is the leader of the Justice for April Valentine movement. Uh, Mykeisha, you work with a lot of nurses. You do a lot of healing, mental health work with Nurses, what are you hearing from those nurses that are in some of these hospital rooms when Black women are giving birth? And uh, are, are you finding that they have been indoctrinated in such a way that they too are ignoring the complaints, the you know, the pleas, the the uh, request of mothers, or are you finding that they find themselves? Uh, not knowing what to do because maybe they want to do the right thing, but fearful that they're going to be reprimanded by a doctor or a hospital administrator. Yeah, Ariva, I see a lot of um, the latter. Unfortunately, I see a lot of fear. And with the concept of nurse healing, we deal with the human inside the nurse, right? Because before a nurse was a nurse, he or she was a human being that had their own biases, their own traumas, wounds, and things like that. And people think, well, once I get into these roles, once I get these titles, these things will go away. No, mm -hmm. it's just a Band-Aid, right? And so you're still bleeding emotionally, and it shows up, unfortunately, in instances and in cases like this where you have to advocate for a patient, but because you never dealt with your people-pleasing wound, now you find yourself, you know, um, putting others' lives at risk because you're not healed. You can't even stand up or speak up for yourself or you find it challenging to do so. So I see a lot of fear in nurses because what you don't what you don't hear talked about a lot is um, nurse bullying or even mm. doctor bullying. And so that is very much a real thing. So I don't fault the nurses too much, but it's it's multifaceted because if you have someone belittling you, if you have someone constantly putting you down or making you feel like your voice um, or your opinions don't matter, then, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to feel like you're silent or don't have a say so. Um, and so I see a lot of that, but I also see nurses who do, you know, stand up and don't mind speaking up for their patients and don't mind, honestly, you know, Ariva being fired in some cases because they speak up. So it just depends. Do you know in this case with April, if her partner or her sister or anybody was able to talk with the nurses that were, you know, in her room during the 20 hours that she was in labor? 
Um, I don't know if they've been able to talk to them afterwards, um, but I know they, of course, they were able to talk to them during the situation and um, things that they tell me was that the nurses didn't listen or they felt so dismissed, Ariba. They felt um, ignored. You know, a lot of times, as you read, I'm sure they heard um, it's normal. Oh, it's normal. It's yeah. normal. It's normal. You know, Nija talks about how they heard is normal probably about 100 times that night. Right. It's normal when it's not normal. But again, emphasizing their mindset and the biases they've had from the the patients that they continuously see, you know, treating April like another number or statistic. And so um, I know I don't think they've talked to them afterwards, um, but I know I did get a chance to, um, you know, just at least kind of pray over you know, the nurses and the doctor, because a lot of times it's easy to point the finger and say, well, you know, these nurses did wrong or this doctor did this, you know, but at the same time, these people are human and I don't make any excuses and I want people to hear my heart in this. I understand what they did was not okay. And I want them to take full responsibility and be held accountable. Mm -hmm. However, they're human too. They make mistakes and they need healing point blank period. Well, it's interesting because I was curious if these nurses that were in the room uh, with April fell into that category of ones that, you know, were kind of uh, going along with the status quo or if they were fighting for her. I'm thinking of a sitcom. Well, it's, not a sitcom it's a drama that I watch. And <laughs> there's a black kid that comes into the hospital. He's been shot. And the white nurse and the white doctor want to do something with his care that's pretty dismissive. And there's a black nurse who's fighting for him saying, no, this is not how we treat patients. No, he must get this test. You know, And the, she was pretty demanding in a way that could have been considered being insubordinate to the doctor. But she decided in that moment, it was important for her to step up. And then later in this little mm -hmm. episode, the kid recovers and he runs into her and thanks her. And he says, even though I was you know, going in and out of consciousness, I heard you fighting for me. And she says, if we don't do it for each other, who else will do mm -hmm. it? So I'm a little discouraged, disappointed is probably a better word, to hear that these nurses, and I assume some of these nurses were Black people, Black women. Yeah. So um, Black women, uh, Latino women, you know, women of color. Um, yeah. But what we know about Centinella is that it's a, a, tra a training center or was a training center in its maternity war. So they sent a lot of newer nurses there. And mm -hmm. what you find with newer nurses is that you will, um, you know, kind of be silenced by mm -hmm. doctors or other nurses who maybe tend to be bullies or things like that. You know, right. I've just heard different things about the doctor. And so, but yeah, if you have newer nurses on the floor like that, or even if they're not newer nurses, but they just become a product now of the system. Mm -hmm. And just like, like Kimberly was talking about now operate in the way um, that the system oppresses others. So they begin to oppress us. And so yeah, yeah, and, and pretty disappointing. Oftentimes, we think because there's someone of color, they're going to identify with us and our situation. But we're talking about systemic problems, and they have nothing to do with the individuals because individuals oftentimes fall into those systems, and they, they want to be, you know, compliant. They don't want to be the person that's causing trouble, or you know, or creating issues. They want to be liked, as you said, people pleasers. They want to be, you know, it's like high school, right? Everybody wants to be popular. You want to be in with the in crowd. And sometimes if you file a complaint, if you raise your voice, you then become that person that got us in trouble or you told on us. So there are all those dynamics that happen in the workplace 
that can cause people to fit very nicely into those systems. But, you know, one of the statistics that was cited in the articles about April was that California is the first state to require implicit bias training for maternity care providers. And they did this in 2019. Uh, but the state hasn't penalized physicians and hospitals, you know, that's, that treat people inequitably. inequitably. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, this is obviously before April died. And since, no, this was 2019. Mm-hmm. But yeah. This should, this, so that, that training, that implicit bias should have happened two years before she went in to have her baby. Uh, but you do DEI, looked at your background. So I know you have a DEI background too. So what do you make of the implicit bias training that California has now mandated? Oh, Ariva, um, <laughs> implicit bias training. Um, well, you know, it I comes just, up with police, right? Whenever there's a police shooting, we always talk about gotcha. give them some implicit bias training. It seems to be the solution to everything, but the answer to nothing. But Exactly. <laughs> you know, so exactly. You took the words right out of real. We can uh, all do implicit bias trainings. We can all take a training. We can all have someone come in and it's very cute. But let me say this. If there is no accountability, there is no change. Point blank, yeah. period. You can come in and do as many as implicit bias trainings. But at the end of the day, if you're not including these trainings or some sort of KPIs into the performance evaluations or holding these people accountable to what they've learned to see if they're actually applying it, then it means nothing. And so that's how I feel about the implicit bias trainings: is that they're cute and there's something to check off for the hospitals. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this case, because Sentinella chose to close rather than go through a process of transformation, the implicit bias training that presumably its staff got as a result of this 2019 mandate, we never get to see, you know, it in action because now they're gone. And and I do want to note that, you know, California touts that it has one of the lowest maternal death rates in the country. But despite that, and that's something to be proud of as a state, but it's still three times, 3.6 times as high for black women as it is for women of other races. So sometimes, you know, we talk about women of color and there's sometimes it's appropriate to lump us all in together. But this stat is particular, not to women of color, but to black women that our maternity, our, our maternal death rate in the state of California that has overall low numbers uh, is still 3.6 times higher Uh, So it still says there's something unique about Black women and something that happens to us in these institutions that's very different for Latino women, uh, for, you know, Indigenous women, for Asian women and other women of color. And that's what's so irritating, frustrating, because uh, Black women, again, as I said earlier, should not be dying in childbirth. Uh, When we come forward, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to talk about what Earth uh, is doing in the state of California to address Uh, the maternal uh, death rates of Black women and other women. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and we're talking about Black maternal mortality rates, uh, and in particular a case of a young woman, 31 years old, April Valentine, that goes into a hospital to deliver a baby, something that should have been fairly routine in America in 2023, but yet uh, April, unfortunately, died uh, during her encounter of childbirth at this hospital. 
there was an investigation. There was a complaint filed with state regulators, and those regulators did find that this hospital uh, failed to take the kind of action that would have been necessary and that April's death was preventable. Uh, we're talking with uh, Mikeisha Mack. She's a mental health professional. She leads the Justice for April movement. Uh, she's also a cousin of April, and she's been very involved in this complaint. Also joining us uh, in this last segment is Stephanie Arjuna, and she's the LA Community Engagement Coordinator for the Earth App. Uh, Mikeisha, so uh, we just talked about implicit bias training, California being the first state in the nation to mandate it in 2019. Uh, we both agree that implicit bias training is uh, not inherently going to change some of the systemic problems, particularly these biases that hospitals and our healthcare system have against uh, Black women. But uh, having worked with nurses in the way that you have, what would you like to see, not just California hospitals, but Cal uh, hospitals around the country uh, that are dealing with this issue of how to provide a safe space and how to ensure that black women aren't dying at, you know, this disproportionate rate during childbirth. Yeah. Uh, very good question, Ariva. Um, I would actually love to see kind of like we mentioned with the uh, bias training, implicit bias training accountability. And in addition to accountability with the trainings, I would also love to see hospitals really hone in on helping heal the healers. Like that that's what my program is called, healing the healers. Because how can we expect these people to effectively help heal others, right? The patients or the people in their care, if they're not getting the proper healing they need, if they're overworked, if they're burnt out, if they're stressed out, if they're not, you know, getting therapy or getting healing from their own wounds, right? So if I'm a nurse and I've had my own struggles with, you know, suicidal ideation or burnout and things like that, that is naturally going to bleed over in the way that I serve people, in the way that I show up. And so what we find when we look at the hospital's satisfaction rates with patients and what really determines a patient satisfaction rate with their experience is their encounter or their experience with the healthcare professionals. So if we know that that's a thing, why don't we then focus on the healthcare professionals and say, hey, what do you need to operate in your full capacity, to operate at your best? And that's where we show up and helping them to heal and release burdens that were never meant for them to carry. Because you think about this, they're carrying the weight of the patient, they're carrying the weight of their own lives, their children, their families, their issues, they're carrying the weight of the doctor, and so on and so forth. And so creating that safe space for the healers so they can then effectively show up and not miss things and hear people properly and run assessments and not be so burnt out where they say, well, that's normal, right? Mm -hmm. And actually pay proper attention that these patients deserve. Uh, uh, Stephanie, have you seen this happening? Any of the work that Earth is doing? I know you guys have a project right now in Los Angeles, but you have projects across the country. Are you seeing hospitals do what Mikeisha is saying, where they are really focusing on trying to provide that kind of mental health, emotional support for their providers, whether they're the nurses in these OBGYN wards or the doctors or anyone that comes into contact with Black mothers? Do I see the earth doing that? No. Do you see hospitals uh, you know, trying to make uh, uh, these, uh, trying to address some of the emotional issues, the burnout and other issues that their staff may be feeling. 
I'm not sure if I'm seeing that. Um, so primarily I was a doula. And so in my experience with clients and stuff like that, um, I don't really see that. I think in some, to some extent, um, I see individually individuals carrying that kind of um, responsibility and wanting to make that change. But as a whole, I, I wouldn't say I can't, I can't really say that I do see that. So, and what is the Earth Project? What are you all hoping to accomplish in Los Angeles? Um, well, I think to piggyback on what Makisha said, and again, Makisha, sorry, I, my loss, I am so sorry for my condolences to you, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think what we're trying to do is basically what she, piggyback on what she said in terms of the satisfaction rate. We are like trying to create, trying to create that hub um, where people can find a safe space, um, can share reviews, can do all those things to really get the idea, the bigger picture of what's happening in the maternal mortality, um, in the health centers, in the health facilities, in the hospitals and stuff like that. And so we are basically a dual platform giving like our community access to crowdsource peer reviews so we can inform and protect each other. Um, so that's basically what we're doing. We're trying to kind of build partnership, engage in communities, be in the community, really understand what they need and what's, what's missing, um, and creating a hub, a platform like the Yelp. We are, I rely on Yelp so much. Um, and so we want to be that for pregnant and birthing individuals for they can come to our app and really, really find that we are trying to kind of give them resources and a, an, an understanding and data of what to expect and where to go to get that five um, star experience. All right, thank you. And that's really uh, obviously very important so that birthing people know before they choose a hospital, before they choose a provider, you know, what the experiences have been with other people that may have used this same provider or, or same hospital. Uh, Mikeisha, tell us what's happening with Justice for April and the movement. Where, where is it now and what are you hoping uh, is the ultimate outcome? Yeah, Reva. So where it is now is that obviously, um, you know, it has been released that there is now uh, a lawsuit going on with um, this is actually issued by April's partner, Nyjah, and he's representing um, for his family. And I really just, we're really supporting him in that because he's shown up tremendously. When I say shout out to Black dads, he has shown up in such a powerful way. So I do want to give him his flowers where they are due. Um, but in addition to, you know, trying to support him and the Justice for April movement, we are still waiting on the results from um, the other two reports. So we also um, issued a complaint you know, from the doctor, there was an investigation still that we're waiting to hear back. Um, there's an investigation with the California's uh, Board of Nursing. And so we are still waiting on those complaints. We are still showing up. Um, we did, we showed up at California Medical Board Review, which happened um, in Bakersfield. So we were able to show up and let the, the medical boards know, hey, what's going on in ways that they can help us and really still getting April's um, legacy out there and ensuring this doesn't continue to happen. So we found that we've now become almost like a voice, you know, mm -hmm. for Black maternal health or for Black mothers. Unfortunately, we had, what, just two weeks ago, someone reached out. And we get these more often than we would like. I'm sure Earth can attest to this. But someone reached out, hey, my my partner died at this hospital. Can you can you help? And it's mm -hmm. disheartening. Ariva is very disheartening. Mm -hmm. So now 
with that, and now that we've become a voice, our next step is to become a nonprofit organization, the Justice for April Foundation, um, so that we can better equip uh, Black mothers, know their birthing rights. There's a such thing as Black birthing rights that a mm -hmm. lot of us don't know about, knowing how to advocate for yourself. And if you feel like something is off, I'll say this, leave, mm -hmm. leave. If you mm -hmm. don't like your experience, it's okay to just leave and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of what we have going on, what we're waiting on, um, and the things that we are looking to do uh, either before this year is out or within the next six months. So if you know anyone that helps create nonprofits, that's where we can use some help um, and resources because that's what we want to do. Well, congratulations to you all for taking something so painful and turning it into a mission, turning it into something that's going to help so many others. And I'm with you. I haven't met Nyjah. I've read about him and I, I read one article that talked about him holding down a job, working in a job where he sometimes is called uh, to show up at a crime scene at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning and having to scramble to find a babysitter. But I was so happy to hear that he took his daughter home and he's raising his daughter as a single dad. Uh, you know, that would have been overwhelming for a lot of fathers losing the mother. Uh, I'm sure April planned to be, you know, as much as the primary caregiver as Nyjah, but the fact that he was able to, again, but anybody that could jump in and do CPR is the kind of person that could manage raising a child, uh, not by himself, because I know there's a village. I know there's a whole village of, of people that love that baby, love him and loved April. And again, I'm just so encouraged by the work that you're doing, Mikeisha, your family's doing. Uh, give Nigel a big hug for me. Tell him I've never met him, but boy, I got a I lot will. of respect for him. I got a lot of respect for him because you're right. Black dads get such a bad rep. So when right. we see one out there doing it, we got to lift him up and let him know that we see him and we salute him. Ladies, we're out of time. Thank you so much for all of this great information. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.